uh, Andy Abraham, uh, not self-proclaimed King of Otley. Uh, how are you? You well? Very well, thank you, Rusty. Yeah, yeah. How are you? I'm good, thanks. And yeah. uh, in the background, a, guitar, a picture of a guitar. Um, yeah, I, I got that at a festival, funny enough. It's uh, a, an artist who takes singles, and uh, as in vinyl singles, and then essentially cuts them out into pictures of guitars. So that one's an actual... That is rocking all over the world by status quo, but it's it's an artist who does it, so it's cool. Nice, and you're a man that combines status quo and coaching. Uh, although uh, all good things must come to an end, eleven years of coaching the Otley Zebras, taking them from boys to men, uh, come to an end, and so I thought it'd be really interesting to maybe get your take on that, and I know. I listened to you on uh, Dan Abraham's pod and I thought I'd get you to do 11 concepts uh, first. And I know it's your second appearance. So this is your encore. Um, yeah. uh, quick, quick, who you are, where you're from, what you're up to. Like. Yeah, sure. Uh, so uh, Andy Abraham, uh, I, uh, as you say, I've been coaching. I've been coaching the Otley Zebras um, finished last year with them at the under 16. So they've moved on to the Colts. So there's another coach taking them on this year. Who, funny enough, I've met and done a handover with and done all the things you you know you, you should do with that. Um, he's a good guy, so I'm sure they'll they'll do, they'll do well with a, a new coach. Um, but in addition to having been a, a rugby coach for 11 years, I'm also the head of subject for sport coaching at Leeds Beckett University. Uh, I've been there since 2007, um, and if people are interested, you know, we I, I, we're always interested in hearing from uh, experienced, uh, ed educated coaches um, who, if they're interested in doing master's degrees, and you know, talk to us, and we're, we're happy to look at that. And but equally, we run a degree in sport coaching, a master's degree in sport coaching. We're starting a master's degree in coach development. Uh, and we were part of the delivery of the professional doctorate there in in, uh, in professional sport. Um, so, yeah, plenty going on there. Nice. Um, and I will give a shout out to the uh, Prof Doc because I did it for a year but ran out of, like, spare time in my life. But it was uh, – I always said I wasn't doing it to get the qualification and I actually loved the, the one year and, and connecting up with you guys and – Jay and Bob and everyone there. It's a, it's a great team. So I am giving you a shout out. And I'm still on the Prof Talk WhatsApp group. Oh, excellent. So uh, I still get to see what's going on and how yeah. hard people are working. Um, and then the second thing that was like the handover to the cults, I know we'll get into the concepts, but I think that's really interesting. So if I give you an example, I've got a friend whose son has just finished in the under 16s. They've gone up to the cults. It's the same club. Um, there's a Colts coach who's like, I, I kind of get that that sometimes you might want to have like an independent coach that doesn't have a kid to the team, but has flatly refused to speak to them at all. And he said, I'd quite like to do a bit of coaching. I've asked him, does he need any help? He said, no. Um, so there's no handover. And I think that <clears throat> clearly transitions is an important thing in, in sport and life. And so I'm, A, I'm glad you've done it, but B, like, what what do you what were your thoughts around the transition part of this? Uh, well, I mean, well, one thing was um, because we were a combined team between Otley and Ilkley for the last two years, so um, there's been a, a bit of a handover because they'll, they'll remain as a as a combined team between Otley Enzians and and Ilkley. Um, so it was probably about looking at um, the how that process has been working, what you know, how well we've we've been able to make it work. 
we've talked about where players are and players who are perhaps leaving to go off to do work, perhaps go to other schools, which means they might not be able to play as much. Um, uh, my, my wife, Steph, has been the um, manager of the of the team since, again, the under-60s. She's, um, she's clearly got uh, more patience than I have and she's agreed to stay on and run, be in that sort of role. So it was uh, talking about how we deal um not deal with the that's a really strange way of putting it communicate <laughs> with parents because we don't deal with them a really good set of parents i have to be really clear about that we've always been a, a cracking set of parents to work with um so you know so there's communication groups and so whatsapp groups so we, we maintain those so past so made sure the new coach is now on the on the whatsapp groups and just talked about where players are in, in their development and uh and i've not gone overboard on that because i think it's important to get a fresh pair of eyes on them uh so I'm I'm always wary of passing on assumptions about who players are when actually even though some of those players I've worked with them for 40, 11 years, I still don't claim to know them massively well because it was still as I've always I mean, last time I was on I said you know I'd see them for once on a Wednesday and once on a Sunday you know I'm, I don't claim to know them inside out as to who they are as people so I think that's why it's good to get fresh eyes. So. Yeah, and I guess the thing you said about transition resonates with the business yesterday and one of the ladies was talking about. In her old business, they always used to say, like, think of everyone as new. Mm. So, like, you know, after about five, six years of coaching some kids, you might have some unhelpful assumptions that if you then pass across to the Colts coaches, those assumptions might continue. And we, you may prevent the fresh eyes from seeing this person in a slightly different light. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's, I think that's really important to give people the, 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 the time to make their own mind up about who people are and what they're at. Not least because, you know, we're at an age where lads of this age will change quite a lot over a period of time. And, you know, we're leaving, having finished coaching with them probably the back end of April to then, you know, they'll, they'll just, I said to you last night, uh, they started pre-season last night. That's three or four months that kids can grow and develop and become more mature and be different people. So, yeah, I think it's, it's really good that he gets the, the chance to make his own mind up about who they, what they're like, and and you know, if you ask me questions, of course, I'll I'll continue to communicate. Uh, Fred's still going to kind of continue with them, so I'll be there as a parent now. So, and he might have to deal with me. <laughs> he, he might be classed as dealing with me. But, yeah, you'll um, be dealing with. Yeah. Uh, what, uh, just quickly before we get into the concepts, uh, uh, well, what will you miss the most? The times when you leave a session going, yeah, I love that. You know, and they, they, there were a, a good number of them. It, you know, I was enjoying it. What what I wasn't really enjoying was the the sense of thinking, oh, I need to devote some time to thinking about this. And I've always been so, even as a player, I was always quite a nervous player. And so those nerves would kick in for me as a coach on, you know, Saturday afternoon. And, you know, that's every... Week after week, I, I, that's the bit that probably was sucking the life out of it for, for me a little bit. That um, I wasn't sure I was looking forward to it as much anymore. But but when you see, you know, we have a great training session that was always brilliant. Um, and when you see kids uh, grow and mature and do things on pit on the pitch, you think, yeah, that's that that's you can see a real shift. That that was that was always a, a, a big thing. Um, and uh, you know we, and I, I you know, and I, I'll miss the the idea of, um, I suppose, speaking to lads and trying to help them. There's, there's always a lot, a lot of reward in that. And you know, I, I, 
because I'll still go and watch, and because I know them pretty well, I'll probably still speak to them after the game. I won't do it before the game because you know that's a different. That's for them to get into the mindset of what they're trying to do. But I'll speak to them after the game, still have chats with them, and and see yeah. them no doubt. That'd be cool. I'm sure they'll be coming up to you. Maybe a nudge to coaches is like, I know you said about, you know, that feeling of the session going really well. Like, let's just like uh, imagine like pre-mortem it. Like if we get above a 60%, that's probably pretty good. Like sometimes I think coaches think that's going to happen every single session and and often it doesn't. No, well, I think I said to you last time is that the, it took me a long time to realize that midweek sessions was so dependent on what what the week had been like for them in school and whether or not they'd even had their tea before coming. Yeah. Because um, uh, I remember, you know, pre-season Sunday morning sessions always seemed to be easier. And you think, well, of course it's easier. They've probably been to bed the night before and, and you know, they've woken up, had some breakfast and come along and they've not been at school all day. So of course, you know, you, so, sometimes you just need to give yourself that sort of reality check and go, yeah, there's just things going on that might be causing some of these things for you. So... Yeah, well, even the pre-season's in the summer, isn't it? So they got some yeah. nice weather. Yeah, yeah. You know, school holidays is a different vibe. and Yeah, you can have a chat with them. Um, whereas, yeah, like you say, when it's minus two and well, perhaps not that cold, but five or six degrees and it's raining a little bit, you don't want to be stood around chatting for too long, really. Yeah, no, true story. Should we get into it? 11, yes, yeah. 11 uh, um, concepts, you called them, top tips, whatever they are like. Yeah things that you're going to pass down through the generations yeah yeah well i'll probably just kick off with where you know when you said to me about doing this about where i come from because obviously i've spoken to uh to dan um and uh about the idea of what what allows us to make decisions and uh, and what i've mentioned that was we know that concepts are useful for two reasons one is that they generally are a summary of something and that summary of something that how you make sense of the world can allow you to either go into something in a lot more depth, as in it's a it's a way into a problem to really think about it. But they can also be things which help you solve problems on the hoof a little bit. Um, so uh, so um, and it, you know sometimes it's worthwhile talking about well what we mean by concept. So a concept is it's a summary of something, it's a position, it's an idea, it's a principle. Um, it's uh if you're into psychology it's a heuristic it's basically a mental shortcut it's how we make sense of the world and one of the ways in which i help people try and make sense of that myself is saying if i was to stop you in something that you were good at and said give me five pieces of advice about how to do that those pieces of advice would probably be you'd be verbalizing your concepts about that so sometimes if you want to ask yourself, well, what do I think my concepts are? Just stop yourself and say, well, what five pieces of advice would you give someone? Uh, and that in itself is a concept, a concept of how to understand concepts. So um, yeah, It's a meta concept. And, yeah. and you've suddenly got me thinking, I wish I'd done my 11 concepts now. but uh, and, and now I'm trying to predict what your concepts will be. Uh, well, well, we'll see where we go. So um, so the, the, the other thing I, I suppose within that is concepts can be very personal and or they can be quite academic. Uh, my job, I suppose, as a as an educator in the space is to try and make those two things merge, as in, I think I've got some academic concepts which I think are useful, but they're not gonna be useful until you you merge them into your way of making sense of the world. And we, you know, both Dave Pigger and Anna Stotter have done research which talked about is about why people reject things. And it's because 
someone else might think it's good, but if it isn't, and if you don't feel it's good, then why would you do it? And I suppose another quick concept, which isn't one of my elevens, is just, there's nothing more practical than a good theory. So, you know, if I think it's a good theory, it probably means it's practical to me, but I might say, explain it to you and you don't see any practical irrelevance. So for me, it's a, it's a good theory, but for you, it's not. So um, so that's why I think concepts come back to theory. So uh, I'll kick off with my first one. And it, it's actually... So By the way, just, did, you, did you enjoy doing this process? Do I enjoy doing it? Did you enjoy doing the 11 concepts? Yeah, well, it's funny when you said 11, it's uh, <laughs> text quest. It's like asking me who, what my best uh, 11 status quo songs are when there's probably about, you know, 150 of them. Uh, for, well, probably far more than that, actually. So there's a lot of concepts. So I'm going to offer you 11, which come to mind for me. When so you had, them. so you actually were probably like, I had more. These are probably the most 11, the 11 most important ones. Yeah. So with my favorite 11 at the moment, but, you know, ask me on a different name, I might, I might offer you. Yeah. Um, probably there'll be some which would always be in there, but the, the others which might flick in and flick out. So that's no, cool. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so this the, this isn't a the only eleven by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, so I'll I'll start with um, sorry one final thing. So these are going to be relatively theory based, but the theories <laughs> and concepts. But I actively use them. Now I so I do think these are good theoretical, practical ideas. So, uh, but whether or not other people see that is then up to them. Um, so I'll start with one, the first one though, which is probably slightly more personal than it is academic. So it was a, um, uh, what, the way I'm gonna go through is talking about how do we start off, decide what we wanna do, and then how do we uh, do that with the people we're doing it with and, and so on and so on. So the, the first one I'm gonna start with is um, it's a, whether it's an exact quote, who knows, but it's a quote which is attributed to Einstein, which is, if you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it well enough. Um, so I like that one because I think sport is complex. So we know working with coaches coming in is part of the thing is A, to make them raise awareness of how complex the thing is that they're doing, but to how do you how are we going to help you make sense of that complexity so that when you have to explain that to someone else, you can do it in a way which is simply enough for someone else to understand it. So I think to me that's a core thing for um, within for, within coaching and within coach education is can we create an, a sufficient understanding that if you had to teach it to someone else, you could do that. Um, so that, that I think that's where I would start. And that, that's, if you like, a gateway into the way in which I've always tried to do my own work is trying to simplify the complexity, but not to make it simple, but to give people a way into what is probably something a bit more, which is often far more complex than, than the simplicity offers. But I just quite like that as a, as a quote from, uh, if you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it well enough. And there's even a little bit of evidence to say that um, your, for teachers and coaches, you can have, you know, you, we might get into instruct, question, all these different ways, but actually what it suggests is that if you understand your product well enough, and there's evidence to say this, you can actually be quite a poor deliverer of that knowledge, but if you can deliver it in a way which is simplified, then it actually is quite helpful for the learner. Um, so you might say, well, you, you instruct too much or you you talk too much or whatever but actually if they 
talk about something they really understand, it's it, the evidence does suggest that people do still do quite well out of that. Um, so uh, so that's that's where it starts. So so from that basis, then um, just just a few things to add a bit of color yeah. that made me think about uh, made me think about lots of things. Um, but I think lots of coaches talk about detail and like it's often confusing for people. Yeah. Um, can people see your language? Often I see some quite confused people and coaches are irrespective of their faces of the people they're speaking to are like continuing with. And I do think rugby is, we got a lot of names for, we got a lot of names, for example, for what is essentially a tackle or a, you know, the contest for possession, like mm. quite confusing for people. Um, it made me think about show me versus tell me. Mm. So, like, uh, and then it also made me just think about storytelling as a way of like connecting stuff up so that like it makes sense to people, they understand it. And it's almost like, you know, in, I guess in their language as well. But yeah, yeah. And, and that's where you get into memory and, you know, the idea of um, presenting something in a structured. So the, that phrase, which I wasn't going to be one of my concepts, but quickly talk about the idea of scaffolding is building the scaffold to help people make the make sense of it. But um, but it's very hard to do that if you haven't got your own sense of how do all the moving parts fit together with this, which is connected to that then is that concept and the, I suppose a concept which then draws from that is the, the idea that we've talked a long time now about the who, what, how idea of who you're coaching, what are you coaching, how are you coaching it. Um, and if you like, that was now, there are three other things, which is understand yourself, understand the context, uh, and understand process and practice. But generally speaking, the, the who, what, how is a, a good place to start. Now, I suppose what I was going to do then is probably go through some some what concepts, some who concepts, and some how concepts, which, if you like, offers a way into how I've I've done this. So, um, my my next. And, and just so, and just to probably give again. So again, I'm, I'm with you. Like, who's in front yeah. of me? How are we going to do it? But also, I think the bits you added around it, around the self, like, what are my biases? What am I not? You know, yeah. what am I learning about myself today? And also, what's my context? It's all these zebras. It's preseason. People are here to have a great time. Versus, we're preseason. If I don't win the first three games, I'm losing my job. Yeah. Um, like yeah. this, you know, everyone would have a completely different context and like try, you've said it already but you know your concepts are like uh, some academic stuff but you're translating it into your own world aren't you yeah yeah, yeah. well i mean i think the simple again the simple way for me to explain that is i, I wouldn't teach something if i didn't think it was useful <laughs> but i think you know that and i think that's a core thing for me is you know use i will fully i will come back to that later as one of the concepts which does guide my how a little bit so who are we coaching? What are we coaching, and how? So I'm I'm, I'm going to start with the do you, what. Do you, because do you, have you seen people coaching stuff that they think's not use? You think is not useful? Not so much. Sorry, I have. I've seen loads of it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think probably more that, and it not so much within coaching, but I've seen it within degrees um, where something gets taught because we think we should teach it. Whereas I've always been of the view is I think we should teach this because I think it will be useful. Whether it's whether it's useful now or in the future, I did have a very long conversation with a neighbour's daughter, um, Lauren, who is doing a medical degree, and I talked about I, I didn't really like exams, and she was saying, "Yeah, but Andy, in medicine, there's so much stuff we have to know." 
that actually I, I quite like someone telling me I'm going to be examined in it because it puts the pressure on me to go away and learn it. So we, I might stand and go, I think exams aren't a very good way form of assessment. But for her, I'm actually, I think, well, fair play to you for actually putting me in my place on that one a little bit and saying, actually, no, it's it's really important. I think for medical students, they have to know stuff, even though we might not use it for another four or five years, but at least we've got a base to go back to, to learn from. And, and so, but well, fair enough, yeah. Uh, her view of the world was different from mine, and it was good to hear it. So, yeah, nice. um, I'm, I'm a, not in favour of exams as well, but I do understand that she'd be in a profession where people might lose their lives if yeah. people don't, uh, don't understand. So, uh, yeah, so I think, so, yeah, I, and if, but I think that comes back to the why and, you know, you, you saying about, well, because I was trying to think who, who are the coaches going to listen to this? And I, so I'm trying to cover the bases a little bit because I think all of these concepts can be taken by someone who works in a more voluntary capacity because they're way into something. But for others, it might be going, well, that I'd really like to go and explore that and, you know, think more deeply about it as well. Um so I was thinking in terms of the what, the, the thing for me as an under six coach that I found useful that we taught students was the, the concept of um, SOL, which is stability, object control, locomotor skills. So if you think about bringing in a group of kids between under six to probably under, t under 11 or something like that, um, is actually what is our job? It's to help kids learn stability skills, object control skills, locomotor skills, and the combinations of how those work with each other. Um, and if I do that through rugby, it is through rugby. I'm not teaching rugby. I'm teaching those skills through rugby. And I think rugby is actually a really good sport to do that with because, you, you know, there is stability, there is object control, there is locomotor. And when you break those down, so, you know, stability, um, can you stand on one leg? Can you stand on one leg and hop? But, but if you can do stand on one leg and hop, well, now you do locomotor skills. Um, and then locomotor skills, well, what are the different ways? We can, can crawl, we can walk, we can run, we can hop, uh, we can sprint. And then can we combine that with object control? So catching, um, throwing, kicking, receiving, hitting, um, you know, all these different things which... Uh, I, I just like the fact they're captured by saying stability, object control, locomotor skills. It's hard not to do something, I think, which is fun with kids, which doesn't include those three things. But we might sometimes wonder, well, what do we mean by fun for kids? And I think, well, if kids become competent in those three things, you can put on most games and they're, they're going to have some sense of fun by doing that. Um, and you're improving their competence. And I think competence is a fundamental underpinning of fun anyway. Because if I don't think I'm good at something, I'm probably not going to do it for too long. So um, so that was one of my starting points with as a concept for what. Um, and I think they can continue all the way through. You can look at somebody who's 15 and go, there is a gap somewhere within that stability object control locomotor skills. So it might it might even give you a, a remedial opportunity to go, well, let's just go back and look at some of these things and understand why there's a problem with them. So yeah, I guess it's made me think a bit about and a, a lot, you know, it's it's under sixes to maybe under sixty sixes. Yeah. Um it's uh the stuff that gets in the way of it got me thinking about that really. So it's like putting people into positions, uh solely playing rugby like the 180 version of the game um deciding that some people can't aren't allowed to do certain things like stop passing or don't kick or um mm. 
having too many on the pitch that actually you're spending a lot of time away from it, not developing some of those skills. Um, yeah, Fletcher always talks about he thinks up until probably, you know, beyond 11, that all clubs should almost be like sporting clubs. You play multiple things. We're doing soul and various other things Ooh. through various sports. Uh, you know, it's like, you know, I watched a cricket team over from Australia the other day, uh, not the Australians, uh, a schoolboy thing, and I just watched them and they got the rugby ball out, they got the football out, they're like, and they're 18 years of age and they're still like doing some stuff that's going to develop some of those skills. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's it's one of the reasons why, you know, the multi-sport basis is is a good idea. Um uh, it's sometimes that's difficult, and again, we—I don't think we should be expecting coaches to be able to do all sports all the time. Because again, you've got an hour a week. You know, but equally, if you're in a broader sense, you're in schools, and yeah, there is a reason why you want people to do different things so they get the opportunity to engage in those those that capacity to build the base around stability, object control, and locomotor. Um, so yeah, I've always found that as being a really helpful concept to to think about what do I want to help people be better at. No, I feel like I'm, we're doing Room 101 and I'm more than happy to put it in Room 101, which I imagine is also another show you would have watched. Oh, yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, uh, so so that's, yeah, so that's that one. And, and then I thought I'd go on to talk about my experiences of, you know, being someone who hadn't played rugby. I played a bit of band. I, I didn't, even when I played, I probably didn't understand it because I only played it for two times at school. Um, so for me, part of the thing, going back to what I was saying about can I explain rugby to people who don't know it when I don't, so I had to invest some time. So so I've conceptualised that uh, in a couple of things. And again, people have helped me with that in terms of well, probably yourself as well. Um, but, you know, things like over through rounds, it's um, that, you know, the how do I score? Well, you can either kick towards a space where you can score, you can carry a ball to where you can score, or you can pass a ball to allow someone else to score. So that I got that off tags, Mark, Mark McTaggart, in terms of going kick, carry, pass. You know, those are the tools that are available to, if you're a team who has the ball, that are available to you to, to do. And, that, you know, it's just simplifying that, <laughs> that idea. Um, I would probably add in support in that, because if you haven't got the ball, then what are you doing? Um, and then things like attack, contest, defend, Generally speaking, those are the three moments of the game. So people talk about moments, uh, football talk about moments of the game. And there's some discussion about how useful is that. I found it useful just for me to make sense of where do I want to position what I'm doing in a practice. So the idea of are we doing this to look at attacking? Are we doing this to look at contesting? Are we looking at this to, to, to do with defending? And of course, we might want to do all three of those things or we might want to isolate one of those things. But um and then the other two for me within rugby was considering that it's a you know the other two sort of core moments in rugby is restarts or open play, you know that, those are the uh, and restarts could be you know a kickoff could be a line out could be a scrum could be a penalty, uh, but the idea of just if you like breaking it into manageable pieces but recognizing that it's still rugby and ultimately rugby is. What's the point of rugby? This is where my, my colleague Dave Piggott is brilliant at doing this sort of thing about how do we understand sports. But um, you know, it's as he would say, is uh, 
I can't remember, pre-illusory goal. Pre-illusory goal is to score more points than your opposition. In rugby, how do you score points? You can either kick the ball between the posts through a drop kick, or you can score a try, and then you can score a... So that's how you score points. And then, as he would say, is that um, the illusory goal is doing that within the constraints of the rules of the game. And rules have always been put there for a reason to probably make it less efficient to... Uh, and to generate more of a contest. So the most efficient of doing that in rugby would be to be, be a bit like rugby about American football, where you just chuck it forward or you kick it to someone who's right in front of you, but the rules don't allow you to do that. So that would be the other concept, is what are the rules of the game which stop you doing it most, achieving the goal most efficiently? And then you look for the efficiencies within that. And that's why I like attack, contest, defend, over, through, round, kick, carry, pass, support, restarts open play. That's how I've tried to make sense of rugby. Nice. Um, and it just made me realize what a complicated game we have. And when you talk about simplifying it and someone who hasn't played loads of rugby, but I know you're a you know you're a spectator and you watch it and mm. it can be really complicated. I often think our commentators make it even more complicated by using, you know, they wouldn't use like such like chunked language, would they? Mm. Um, I think we've done some good stuff with hockey and it'd been really interesting seeing how well it's been received by people around that. Like, what moment of the game are we in? I kind of think of it as, you know, we have principles of play. Where's the best place to go forward? What you're saying is that within that, you would then go, is it like, are we going to go, like, are we going to go around them? Are we going to try and penetrate and go through them? Or are we going to go over them? Like, those yeah. are quite literally the three options we have, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Aidan McNulty would talk about where's the best space. So he might go, like, in order to go forward, where's the best space? Here's our options. But um, that kind of map helps you understand it, but also helps you plan training. I think one of my, uh, just thinking, I've been thinking about concepts, uh, a concept I would have that would tie in with what you're talking about there is attack coaches, defence, defence coaches, attack. Mm -hmm. Understanding that in order to get, you know, to to, to have some uh, problems for the attack, we need to set some, you know, some problems for the defence for the attack. but it's interesting isn't it and even like more recently suddenly people are getting much more intentional around coaching transition which is that this is the contest bit for you isn't it like we were on defense now we're on attack and the other thing it made me think about that people i guess are more aware of now is is off the ball well off the ball just ties into your stuff around like if we are going to play around them then those players who are currently you know a bit further away, and if you yeah. were if you were Lynn Evans, you would talk about you know the cousins and the brothers, and I guess that's that's the, one of their concepts they use to coach support. So yeah. Yeah. I guess it's loads of stuff, but maybe my nudge to coaches is like, which ones are you using? And also think about like, let's say Andy, you were coaching with two other coaches, and you were all using different language. Imagine how confusing that is for the yeah. players. That's probably the big one for me is like, that's cool you understand it, but if the other two coaches are talking about other stuff, which is really common, mm. and the players are unlikely to... They're going to well, find we, with, within the academic sort of world, we would talk about shared mental models between coaches and shared mental models between players. Yeah. And there's some contentions about it, should we use that language? But I, I again, I think it's a simplification of the, of the complexity that we're trying to engage with is... Are we seeing the same thing? Are we thinking the same thing? And um, 
and that, like you say, that then provides a greater level of consistency for people. Um, and it, and this isn't for me to decry the role of detail, because as the game becomes harder and harder, it's the details which allow you then to probably, you know, if you if you if you're playing in uh, international rugby where people know your game inside out, then you need people who've got the detail because that's the bit which will probably provide you with the edge. Um, and I had uh, one of our um, current students on the Masters talked about this in that he was coaching in a sport where he, he, he thought he could see himself being an international coach fairly soon. And he said, I went to watch an international training session and I realised I've got to understand my sport. Even though he'd, he'd already decided that she'd done really well in improving his, his understanding of the sport by doing the, the tests that we given on the master's degree. He, he would say, look, it's really opened my eyes as to what the sport's about. But he recognised there was still more that he needed to know to understand the, the, the detail and the intricacies that re are required as the game gets harder and harder and harder. So, so I've talked about the simplification for me as a coach in my situation and the players that I work with. But I think as players become more intentional, they probably do want greater detail, and that's where you need people who really, really know the stuff. Um, Every time you say the words detail, I'm reminded of John Fletcher who go, what do you mean by detail? It's just information. That's what Fletcher would say, but I do. Yeah. I, I completely understand. And, and I would maybe like counter with, I think a lot of coaches use the word detail without understanding what they mean by it and often yeah. something that, that isn't that useful. So, like, sometimes I'm thinking, okay, you're calling that detail, but having all your players. Now, I watched Fiji under-20s play yesterday against England under-20s, and they've been coached detail. They've been mm. coached every time they got tackled. They went on the floor and they presented really long. As a result, I think they offloaded like four or five times in the whole game. So, yeah. like, yeah, what do they mean by detail? Whereas I think if you had a principle around, like, keeping the ball alive or whatever, then they might be thinking differently about, the yeah. problem they have but uh... yeah well i think that's different for for players than it is for for coaches um because i agree i mean if you're in the game then the, the, your capacity to, so i mean it's a phrase of saying knowledge of versus knowledge in do you know just because i've got knowledge of it doesn't mean that i can actually see it in the game and i do agree that and if you can't see these things then you know, it, it, we're just teaching people stuff that they can regurgitate and like you say it's that difference between tell me versus or show me versus tell me um, but I, what I mean, I suppose what I mean by the, the, it's like you really digging into saying, Andy, come on, tell me why, tell me why. So we, we start off at quite a conceptual level and then you, you want to jump. And that's where my, my capacity to go, OK, so now we're really starting to get into why things are the way they are. But there's no point getting into that until we're at some sort of con shared conceptual understanding, because we just will, uh, to use a favourite phrase of, or a phrase I, I nicked off Dave Piggott is we start talking past each other because we haven't got a shared view of what we're even trying to talk about. So so I like that phrase of talking past each other. You know, we're just on different tracks. So um, so that's yeah, that's how I, I've made sense of the game um, for the situation that I was in. Um, but I think the concept is how are you making sense of your of your game? What what is the model you've got in your head about how that game works, which allows you to go back to the Einstein thing of being able to explain it simply to someone. Because if you can't, you probably haven't got the that that sense. Now, 
whether or not some of the players I've been coaching would be saying, I still don't understand what you're talking about, Andy, so perhaps <laughs> I, I still haven't got it myself. That might well be the case. So I bet you've learned loads about rugby in the last 11 years. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. To the extent the guys I go and watch rugby with now ask me about the laws of the game, I'm going, <laughs> I've, I've, done a, I've done the refereeing bit. I didn't finish it. Uh, the classic uh, Rodney Trotter sort of, uh, I, I, I forgot to send my letter in. Um, but even learning the, the laws of the game, because they're the things which stop you uh, doing the uh, scoring in the most efficient way. So, you know, someone's a lot saying to me, yeah, if you want to, you can just go and punch that guy in the face to then, so you knock him out. So he's now out of the game, which now means you're playing against 15, against 14. I mean, there's rules against that. But, you know, in the original form of the game of rugby, probably that rule didn't exist. Yeah, no. I definitely had a coach in the Premiership tell me to do that. And I was like, yeah, what happens if I'm in the sim bin at that point? Right. <laughs> well, that's a so uh, I'll move on to the next concept, which I'll, I won't spend as much time on because uh, I'm wary that this could take a long time, but um, the idea of a, of a spiral curriculum. So that way in which I've just talked about rugby, you can't teach all of that all at once. So it's thinking about where you're starting, but realising that you, you're gonna, you, you can't teach it once and not come back to it, but there are other things you need to teach. So the idea of a spiral curriculum is that you, you talk about something, you, you learn something, you teach something um, or coach something and, and players learn something, but you, you, you come back to it and then you layer in some more things and then carry on and then you layer in some more things. And actually for some people it might be that um, you're not layering in new things, you're just giving them another chance to learn something they didn't learn in the first place. Um, and I think a key one for that in rugby is tackling, as in, yeah, I can see tackling is not something you really want to do yet, but don't worry, we'll come back to it. Okay, still not yet, but we'll come back to it. So so I like I really like the concept of spiraling. And that spiral can be weeks or it could be years. Um, but it's just, you know, it's the idea of just because you've taught it once doesn't mean you shouldn't come back to it. And but then it's how well do you understand it enough to layer in some new ideas? Yeah, um, yeah that's like uh, for me, levels like you know, not, you know, like, and the people that have, have started tackling, like, what's the next type of tackle you're going to need? How, you know, in what context? Uh, but then also individual versus team. So as a team, we've probably got a bit of a curriculum around how we want to play the game, but also uh, the individual elements that fit into that team make it quite a complex thing to to do this really well, especially on a, you know, one night a week. Um yeah. Panicking the day before, what am I going to do in training? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and I, I think that would be good... like, a, what, give me an example, like of how you, well, you know, where you think you, you did that quite well. An example of that. I think we we would. Uh, I think. Well, firstly, I'm not sure I did do it well enough. Would be my first. I knew you were going to say that. You need to yeah. speak to your. You need to speak to yourself better, Andy. Abraham. Yeah, yeah. Well, but I, honestly, I did because I'm not sure. I was always planned as much as I'd wanted to. But, but for example, you know, the players. As much as I would question the the, the role of moves, because because um, often moves are done without uh, without opposition, and then the opposition comes along and suddenly the move breaks down quite quickly. But but the players wanted to do them, so. Within that, we would I would introduce something 
well, then generally speaking, I'll get because I probably didn't know enough of the moves as a as a non. So they would perhaps even come up with something, but we would do a bit and then leave it and then come back the following week. Um, and probably what I was spiraling there was me coming out of the uh, instructional process and them taking more ownership of it from. So that was probably more of a spiraling of my interaction. Uh, so there was a planned, almost like a, a planned withdrawal of me doing this and perhaps more of a, a me taking more of the, the role of a reminder rather than a, a, an instructor in that sort of situation. Um, but also, um, I think we would spend some time doing some defensive work for a few weeks and then we'd go back to look at some attacking work and then we could perhaps back to a defensive work. I mean, it's very difficult, I think, in voluntary settings to do it because there sometimes does have to be a bit of a reaction to something where you're going, oh, God, we're going to have to revisit this and we can't leave it for another few weeks. But I think if you're working in a more, that more of an academized situation where either as a PE teacher or as a coach, you've seen players regularly, I think you can do it uh, in terms of um, looking at tactical concepts of, well, let's think about attacking with the ball, defending it without the ball, attacking with the ball, and so on. So you, you can go through a season perhaps doing that. And that there's, I think a core part of that is then being able to trust the process that I think in those settings where you are on an educational train, that just because you see someone do something to you, which you're thinking, oh, God, that's looking bad, but then going, yeah, but... It's because we haven't practiced it for three or four weeks. Yeah, yeah. Because we've been practicing other things for three or four weeks. And actually, those, even though that's happened to us and it's been quite bad, we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that things we have been practicing. I'm, I'm seeing that. I'm seeing that coming to some sort of fruition. So let's let's worry about the things we are practicing and not about the things that we're not practicing. Yeah, you painted a picture in my head with the educational train. Yeah, just that almost like we're going to get there in the end. With the, yeah. that was something I was definitely thinking about teaching economics was we'll be fine in the end and there's some frustrations and it's we're cool yeah. we're going to get there in the end but yeah probably needs yeah to sometimes that's hard but I, that, so funny if I think we do that really well in our degree I think we do revisit things and you can see the panic in students eyes when you go <laughs> we're, we're layering in something really quite difficult and new here but it is building on things that you know but perhaps you need to remind yourself that you know some of these things yeah. um so, uh, but then you see the outcrop from that. And uh, I mean, it's just unfortunate for us that the National Student Survey comes along just as we're probably putting the most pressure on our students. But, yeah. you know, I prefer to trust the process of what we're trying to do than worry too much about, although we, we have to worry about it to some extent because it affects league tables, which we don't use. But anyway, um, it's... Let's but, not get into league tables. No, no, well, let's leave those things on. Yeah. So, yeah, the spiral. So that's, that's the next The spiral one. is in Route 101. Well done. Yeah. So uh, I then thought I'd move on to something around the process and looking at planning. So I think that's probably that that what is about deciding what you want to do and how you, you know, initially how you might want to get it and how does that re reflect what you're trying to achieve. But um, one of the things that uh, I've often said, and it, it was, a, it was a, a real reaction to me when some government minister said, well, AI will be amazing for teachers because it will help them plan. And... <laughs> Uh, and I'm looking going, yeah, it probably will. But what you're missing there is, and it, to me it's a core one, is that planning is learning time for, for coaches and, and teachers. 
So it's not just about the plan, it's about the process. And that's because the more I plan, the more detail I put on, the more thought I put into my plan, the more I give myself space to reflect on something I've already thought about. So the planning and reflecting process for me is fundamental to coaches learning. So for me, planning is learning. So it is, it is worthwhile spending time doing planning, even though, you know, we've got all those phrases saying, you know, no plan survives the first contacts and everyone's got a plan until they're punched in the face. I get that. But for me, the, the thing which makes people adaptable isn't necessarily the plan, it's the thought they put into the plan. So that's the core concept for me is planning is learning. Yeah, I would have ask people about what you you know, what do you think planning is? Um, just to then see like and how would you normally plan or even just that's fascinating, isn't it? How do you normally reflect? Because what you're talking about is like the reality is like if I've planned and thought about it, I'll do a bit of what if, I'll do a bit of pre-morming stuff and then yeah. I'm probably more likely to be able to think fast when I need to. Yeah. Um, I've got some options to make better decisions when I need to. And uh, yeah, often people now the extreme of that is like an international coach I spoke to in a, not in rugby. And he said, we, we plan three hours for every session. And I was thinking, yeah, I probably want to be like chatting to the players a bit during that time. So I think that's cool. I wouldn't want to do it every time, but I, I do love, you know, people being more intentional and, maybe disrupting how they think about their planning and doing it in a different way with different people and yeah. same as reflecting with different people. Like, And that's why, again, I'm probably like the, the reality in most rugby clubs is like most coaches should go and coach with another team at least two or three times a year just to at least steal mm. some stuff and bring it back and have some yeah, fresh, yeah. fresh information. Yeah, so well, I mean, that's part of the, you know, the other part of learning is disruption. Um, so go put yourself in spaces where you know where you can be disrupted. Um, but and, but what I would also say is the reason why I would say that moves on to the next one, which is something that we talked about when on the before was this idea of nested planning, um, and that the idea of nestedness is that what I do on the ground with a group of players on a Wednesday night when it's whatever it should it ideally should be nested within what are we trying to achieve over a longer period of time. And, and I, I think that then opens up reasons why you should plan for having conversations with, with players. Um, because it's so planning, we often think about planning about planning a session, but for me, planning is about how we're achieving the, the overall thing we're trying to do. And again, I'm wary of saying this to voluntary coaches because sometimes what's the best plan you've got is how do we make sure the kids who start the year, the kids who finish the year with us, and you know, they come back the following year and by the time they've left us, um, they are young, capable, competent people who have got a, a base set of stability, object control, locomotor skills, which allows them to have competence in feeling like they can go in and get continue to be involved in physical activity. I think if, um, if voluntary coaches can do that with a group of players for after a number of years, I go, you, you've, you've achieved the, the core goal, which is people have got a sense of competence so they continue playing. I think the nestedness is probably more about people who've got more time on their hands, which generally means they're probably not as voluntary. It's probably, it's more of a job maybe, but it doesn't stop voluntary people having that as, a, as an idea. But and I know there's plenty of volunteers who invest a huge amount of time in what they do. Um, but the idea is, is what is it we, where do we think we're going to be in three or four years time? Or where do we think we're going to be in two years time or one year? It depends on the role and, 
Um, and then what's the structure that we have to put in place to facilitate that, which then eventually, so you go from that to a, you know, to a, if you're four year, it might be what's the first year going to look like, and then what does that first year break down into into different zones? And you could argue it's a meso, um, macro, meso, micro idea, which has been around for you know decades, but it's more about how does this thing I'm doing today nest back into that thing that we're actually trying to achieve? Um, which is why I think it, it is okay for rugby clubs, football clubs, gymnastic clubs, any sort of voluntary uh, and you know maybe even paid one where you, you do only see kids for Where do we want to see the kids in two or three years' time? And it may be, well, if they're still with us, they're, they're enjoying playing a sport with a set of skills which makes them feel like they deserve to be and belong on that team with the, with the players that they're with. Um, and if they're not with us, it's because they've gone on to do something that they want to do more than what we've been doing with them, but they leave on good terms. So it's not it's not because they've left because they hate us. They've left because they want to go and do something more interested in. Those, to me, are perfectly legitimate goals for clubs to have in the, from that point of view. Yeah, and probably quite good to deal, I'll use your words, with the parents. So actually, this is where we're going. This is our kind yeah. of North Star. North Star might be... You know, in different environments, it might be like rugby and winning, and in other mm. environments, it might be finishing in three years' time with more kids than we have today. Yeah, um, and then it's yeah. What do we? And then again, like, well, but again, always, which I know you, you're always thinking about. But then also, like, you alliterate it, won't you? Like, as you said, like we've had a run of games where this has happened, and actually, I think this is impacting upon motivation. And you know, one of our things we want to do is to. Make sure, and actually, we might adapt some stuff. We might change our opposition, or we might actually patch up some stuff because like, we think that's going to be important. But notwithstanding, yeah. like we've got this this north star we're heading towards. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and, and, and again, I think it's you know, if you're a coach working in a you know in a pathway somewhere, then there are probably some more clear goals about what that is. But um, it's you know, as in you know, pathways exist generally speaking, to facilitate the um, the development of players who might play international sport. Um, but it doesn't stop those pathways having other very clear goals, as in, well, there's only so many people who are going to achieve that, and it's not many. It's so tough. what do the other people get? <laughs> so yeah. um, I think having some clarity around that is also really good. And, um, like, like Vital, and then we've obviously, like, you've got Freddie's been involved in academy stuff. My Freddie's been involved in academy stuff. I, I'm I'm not going to ask you to speak for you, but I'm speaking for me, and I, I think that's like the vast majority have forgotten. Like they are the, you know, that's the larger number there, and actually going, we're going to just check in with those people. Do they still want to give us a hug in five years' time? Are they still got positive relationship with sports? Mm. Do they talk kindly about and and like in, about the, their experiences with us? Then that would be a you know, all those things could be things that might be measurable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, well, I mean, I, I would, I would hope that um, that Fred, with the coaches he had with with Yorkshire, I, I think he would. You know, I'm not sure I'd give him a hug, but I'm not sure he doesn't give me a hug. So, <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't think he'd have any problem going to speak to any of the coaches he had um, through Yorkshire. So, I, I would I, give Dicko, I would give Dicko a hug. He's a good guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, I. I so 
Yeah, I mean, it's so I just think the nestedness of it is the um, is is a, is an idea. I, I just like that as a concept, as a concept which we we pulled together. But that concept came from coaches that we've spoken to, um, uh, and good coaches who say so. It does give you that sense of what I'm doing now is nested in something else, and it also gives you the reflection point. As in, you know, we've all at some point, anyone who's coached. Uh, kids at some point has probably been, excuse the French, but probably been pissed off with one or two of them at some point or other. It's inevitable it will have happened. And probably at some point spoken in a way which you think probably shouldn't have said it like that. Um, but that's the, 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 if you're having that thought, it's probably, it's hopefully because you're thinking, I will want them to keep coming back. And if they think I'm a novice, then, then that's not going to happen. So I, I need to address that now. I need to probably work out that actually I do need to think. Well, next time I speak to them, we perhaps just need to apologise or just rebuild the relationship, even if it's not a direct apology. There's other things which would go on. But that is then nested back into, I still want you here by the end of the year. And I'd really love it if you were here in two or three years' time. That, you know, it's, a, it's a valuable goal to have that. Thing. My um, experience of this is often people don't do the North Star bit, or if they do, they, they forget about it quite quickly. And, and, and if we do take an example from school, I was just speaking to a school today around kindness. If kindness is one of your most important things, it's one of your big rocks, like, yeah, what does that look like? And all the way down to like, like, what does that look like on a lesson by lesson basis? What does that look like when someone transitions between teams? What does it look like when someone joins a school? What does it look like? You know, like, and, and then what does it look like over a period of month? Are there some rituals we have? Like, yeah, yeah we're just... Because I spent too much time with John Fletcher, always going like, "What's the purpose? Where are yeah. we? Like, the I, I, How does it connect to this?" Yeah, and I, I'd be honest, I probably, you know, that sometimes I probably lost sight of that purpose about what we, not because, probably just because, you know, it's just the you get into the day to day, and you know, sometimes you'd probably do lose sight of those sorts of things, and perhaps it, it didn't need to be, because I was something I'm going to talk about in a bit. It's about understanding, and I will come back to that, but. Does everyone understand why they're there? <laughs> sometimes, you know, you, you lose sight of that because you just get into the day-to-day -day and perhaps sometimes that is worthwhile re revisiting. But the other thing from the object, from that nestedness, is that it's a, an aligned concept. Is the, It's something that Bob Muir put together, the planning reflective practice framework. of If you've got an objective which comes from your nested plan, then you're, the way in which you're going to achieve that objective is typically through some sort of task design the, the way in which you're going to behave and the way in which the kids will engage with that. And I think you can plan about the task, you can plan for your behaviour. And the thing I'm always wary of with this is uh, when it's presented, it's almost like the, the athlete's engagement is something that happens, whereas I think the point of that framework is, is no, it's something you should be trying to predict. So in your mind's eye, if you've designed a task and how you're going to behave around that task, that should be based on how you think people will react and engage with that task. So the engagement isn't a re isn't a reactionary thing; it's a planned thing. Because, um, and by having plans for all four of those things about my objective, my task, my behaviour, the engagement, when the inevitable happens and something doesn't sit with what your expectations are, well, now you've got a point of reflection. Well, why isn't it sit with the expectations? What's happened there? And, I, I, and that's why I go back to planning, reflecting is learning because you're thinking about stuff. 
Yeah, I just wrote, uh, yeah, like, so uh, Ed Hall talking about planning for action interaction. You're then like, I guess what you're saying is like, you've also got to be like, have a picture in your head of what you think the athlete engagement would look like. You're probably mm. going to have reasonable good noticing skills. If there's a gap, uh, you you might go, leave this a bit longer. Actually, this is hopefully quite typical. But also then you've got to have options, haven't you, as a coach for, again, I would think about, uh, again, this would be something I would do because this stuff is stuff that happens in all the rugby clubs across the country, isn't it? Like the players have, as you said already, they've had a really tough week at school. I thought their interaction was going to be this. It's this. What are your options at that point? Like, mm. there's going to be, you know, uh, a, a, so, you know, you think everyone's going to be really into it, but one of the kids is, you know, something's happened, and so they're reacting slightly differently. So, yeah. one of my options there is, like, yeah, I think, I think there's some common problems. So I guess was, there's some common problems that we could share more of, more solutions, possible solutions around within rugby clubs across the whole coach, you know, the whole cohort of coaches. Yeah, yeah. And you remind me of, you know, one, one. I mean, it's funny, a bit sticks in my mind, so one session this year, which just went spectacularly against what I expected. And I didn't have the patience because I hadn't thought enough about why they might not engage like that. Yeah. And I just remember behaving really quite appallingly in some ways and thinking, oh, God, you come away going, what have you done there? I mean, when I say appallingly, I think, I suppose appallingly in my head, it's probably hopefully not the sort of thing that yeah. would, would suddenly be on YouTube and, you know, it's got 10 million views to go and look at this idiot. But um, but it, it's, but it was, it's because I had the expectations I had for something were just completely unrealistic. Uh, I was introducing a new idea um, and they just didn't get it. And there were new players there, and yeah, just, oh god, yeah. Just remember looking back and going, "What an idiot I was that night." But, I would normally ask you at that point, "What did you learn about yourself?" And you'll, uh, you'll, you'll have a good answer to it. Yeah, well, it would be practice what you preach a bit here, Andy. <laughs> you introduced <laughs> something new. What the hell did you expect was going to happen? I think that's the classic. The one of the classic ones that would go across the club is like you've introduced a new concept, like. People are still learning the game or they're learning the, you know, like mm. we're kind of getting freaked out. But I told, you know, like actually just that ability to chill out and go, this is, you know, especially with new players, because then yeah. suddenly that's slightly different as well. And you might wish that you'd told some of the, the, the more established players to help the new players. Yeah. 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 In fact, I didn't talk it through properly on a, you know, have a, a decent whiteboard so I could actually look yeah, at it, yeah. explain what we were trying to do and tr all those things. You listen to oh, God, yeah, it was just a badly thought through idea. But uh, no, the great idea... There's a great learning happy. moment for you. Say again, sorry? The great learning moment for you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely it was, yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, so there's that. Uh, so that's the, if you like, the process practice. So then probably look at... A couple of who things. Um, uh, this is um, this is one which has just always stuck with me. It was, it was designed by um, or conceptualised by Dave Collins and Richard Bailey. Uh, and I think I've probably talked about this on the last podcast we did about the three worlds idea of why why might someone be stood in front of you? Um, and they talked to conceptualize into three broad areas. Someone might have a, a motivation just because it's personal well-being. They just like, you know, playing hockey, playing football. It's 
they like being out of the house, running around and having an opportunity to practice something. Um, and then there's a personally referenced excellence. So those people have the same reason as in, I want to be out, I want to be doing this, but actually I'm quite interested in how I get better at this. So my behavior is probably going to be different from their behavior. And then there's uh, elite reference to excellence, as in I'm doing this because not only do I want to be better, I want to be rest at this. I, I, I want to be there. And I want not only do I want to be there, then I want to be better at everyone else who's there. Um, and you would see different approaches to what's going on within those. Um, and, and I think that's really helpful for coaches to just try and say, where do they think people are in that? Because you, some of your best players might be PPW and you're frustrated with them because they don't seem to be responding to the the genius coaching idea you've got for them because they're going because they just want to play. They, you know, they just want to, that's all they want to do. Whereas, but equally you might have the player who isn't one of your best players, who is incredibly focused on wanting to be better. And if you work with that player, uh three or four years later, there's a good chance he probably will be your best player or at least one of your best players. But if you don't, because they're not one of your better players, then you're, you're not going to fit their motivations. And in fact, you're probably not really helping them very much. Uh, and similarly with the ERE. Um, and so I just think it, it, I really like that as a concept because it helps. it's always helped me sort of try and think about who are the players I'm working with here and, who are the ones I'm going to push and who are the ones I'm probably just going to, even if they're messing about a bit, I'm going, no, I'm going to say, you know, there's, a, there's, a, there's a respect you need to have to be within this group. And, you know, it can't just be about that. But if you just want to come and play, then just come and play. It's fine. Um, and it might help me target where I want to invest some of my time. So it's helpful for me as a coach. It's also helpful as, as a player. The other thing to remember with it, though, is that people can jump. The person who is your PRE might be PPW, the P person who is so it's and they would jump from one session to the next. Yes, they might do, yeah. It, it's I think generally speaking, you can expect it. They might it might be a micro jump, whereas yeah, they might not do, yeah. I do get that. But it may but be you have someone who's who just significantly changes and goes, actually, I now really want to invest time in this. I think it's a, a helpful heuristic, isn't it, around, like, why are people there? Like, motivation is quite an important thing. The other thing it made me think about is co-coaching. So you might look at this and go, oh, you know, Rusty might go, I'm quite good probably with those players that are roughly in this group. And, Andy, you might be helpful for these and just kind of whichever whichever way around it is. And also like, but also, like, some buddying up stuff and actually either – actually this group are going to like contest against each other a bit and maybe this group we're going to try and get them to collaborate and work and because that's a big part of why they're here so but even just the heuristic well just a, I mean you've got to understand why people are in front of you haven't you yeah and and I think for me and a, you know as a voluntary coach as much as I probably have tried and help the people who I think who have got a greater desire to be better at rugby versus others who just want to play rugby and I, and I don't make any I don't, I don't say that, and I'm so, as if to say, well, that person's better than that person as a person. That's not the case. It's just recognizing. Well, if you just want to play, that's fine. I, I, I'm not going to make any judgments about you on that, other than that, um, that this person I might get do something more with because I think that's what they want and what they need. And you know, it's 
there's there's no sort of personal judgment about pe who people are because of that. It's just accepting that's what that the people in front of you. But it but it was also part of me which said, um, but if they do want to be that good and they are that good, probably that person will end up in a different situation where they are able to have more of that. So this retains the the point of this group is. We play on a Wednesday and a Sunday, and we're, we're trying to keep the group together, equal playing time, all those sorts of things. And if people who want to progress to something else, probably they will do anyway. Without, um, so it's something I try not to. When I've done this, I've tried not to skew it too far one way. I almost go, well, I'm forgetting about you guys. Yeah, well, the helpfulness of the North Star at this point as well, isn't there? Like, if our yeah. job is to uh, have more kids at the end in three years time than we do today, then we need to like, if our job is to win the under 16s County cup, then we just get rid of the ones that are here for well-being and they can go you know, and be playful. But of course that does happen. So, yeah. those, you know, so the reality of the half game rule is that it was brought in to prevent some of that stuff. Yeah. I know that you talk about a half game rule as being, I don't know whether it's one of these concepts, but it's something that's like, you think is a really helpful concept. I do as well is, it obviously gets misused and sometimes misinterpreted and some people get yeah. it wrong. But as a general heuristic, people should get, you know, a reasonable amount of game time in order to, you know... Well, I mean, ultimately, you, and... you can't get better at something if you don't play it. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, it, it, even if you're PPW, even if you are there for personal well-being, they still want to probably be better at, at it to some extent. They might yeah. not be putting the hours in away from the practice, so there is still it, that doesn't mean they're not there to get better, but it probably means are they going away and watching it on TV? Are they making notes? Are they you know are they going away and doing practicing their own time? Those different things that people with a different motivation are probably doing. But fundamentally, that you know, that I, I like the half game rule because it just meant that it took a, a cultural issue out of the hands of coaches, and yeah. probably I think a lot of coaches are quite happy about that as well. Well, they told me I have to do it, even though I wanted to do it. They told me I have to do it, so yeah, so we'll do it. No, so, um, um, yeah, and then the, the, the supposedly the next one is um, psychosocial, psycho behavioral thing ideas of, and they're quite complex terms. So, essentially, what are the set of social skills and uh, learning and performance skills which will help me help this player be the person they they want to be. So I, I think, you know, that sport has a lot imposed on it about saying it's a, it's great for social development. I think that can be true. I think it's also can be complete nonsense if yeah. we end up teaching people that actually cheating is a way of achieving your goals. Now that to me isn't a social goal I particularly want to engender with people. But um, but I think things like, uh, you know, so we wrote in the book chapter we did a few years back, and I think that book chapter will capture a lot of the things I'm talking about here. But people who can give and receive praise, you know, that's actually a really good social skill. People who can engage with a group of players and talk to them uh, with, so with, within a social group and talk and exchange ideas. And when the going gets tough, how do they support? Do they not support? Do they start accusing? Or, there's a whole range of things that you can see within sport, which um, it might not be the uh, the central goal of what you're trying to do in your sport because there's only so much time, but it at least allows you to see the players who um, who are quite shy or who are who do find it difficult to accept praise or 
or, or to congratulate their teammates. And, you know, these are really interesting, really useful social skills of engaging in the, within a social group. Um, so I see that both as a curriculum, but also a way of understanding the players are in front of me. Uh, I will probably layer into that um, recognising the role of maturation plays within that. But some kids stay really quite selfish for quite a lot longer than other kids do. And, you know, so you could go back to um, Piaget's work around some of that, but I won't talk about that. But between that and also the, the work in psychobehavioural skills of what are the skills which allow people to learn, uh, to, to take ownership of their own, their own behaviour. One of the things that we... We see within um, my colleague Gary Hodgson did a PhD study on this, which showed that a lot of undergraduate students have relatively poor self-regulation skills, as in the capacity to regulate their behaviour to be a learner. And that makes me wonder, well, what's gone on for them earlier in their life about how do they take ownership over what's going on? So I think the role of challenge and how do people respond to challenge and how they talk to deal with challenge um, I think is is really important within those in those. So that's a, if you like, it's a psychology, but it's a concept of it's both a how do I understand you as a player? How do you respond to challenge? And if I see you respond in a way which is you push it away, so I think well that that gives me something I can then work with you on. So it's both a way of understanding, but also a way of creating a curriculum. Um, but without getting into I now need to teach these kids mental skills. I think that, I think that's more of a an everyday look at how people respond to the social setting that you're in and the learning goals that you're trying to give them. Um, yeah, my experience of of that is that it's like they're not thinking about this in the classroom. Often, the sports field is the best place to do some of this stuff. Mm. Um, you could almost like if you wanted to curriculumize it, you might go by the by the end of like the under twelves, like. Everyone is comfortable giving and receiving feedback to one another. Mm. Um, you know, by the end of the under-13s, everyone is really comfortable of being able to speak in front of a group. By the way, I'm just, I, I would think about it as individuals. Now, yeah. there'd be some core concepts and some helpful stuff that I think, I do think it's the purpose of sport anyway. I get the mm. tech-tech, but, you know, staying in the moment, being a great teammate, ownership, I'm with you, like, definitely feeling some learned helplessness at times from uh, some people who've been in education for a long period of time, yeah. having yeah. challenging conversations, walking towards challenge, like those types of ideas that, yeah, even if you just have one or two in your, in your team that you thought was important. It was interesting. Uh, reminds me of the Wellington festival where the lad from Newcastle, like 15 years of age, like they had like a typical teenage boy huddle. He went, call everyone just uh, like lowered his voice, everyone just take a step in towards me. Cool. So what I think I've heard is this and this. To, you know, is everyone in? Hands in if you're in for it. Cool, let's go. Like, and the coach is like, oh, my good God, what just happened then? <laughs> and he, I said, oh, man, what? Like, he said, oh, yeah, like, we think it's really important that uh, Falcons, that ability to, like, to take stuff and then, like, simplify it and go, what are we going to do about it? I guess problem solving. And so we practice it. Hmm. It's like, oh, that's pretty cool, eh? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's amazing what kids will do. I mean, and, and we we do talk a lot about this within university in terms of where students come from, and that's you know we we had a session yesterday on the role of assessment, 
And the one thing we didn't talk about is how do students see assessment when they arrive to us? Because they've just been through GCSEs and A-levels, which is said, someone will give you an exam that you've not seen before, that you will have crammed some knowledge into your head for, and the only feedback you will get from that is someone telling you how good you are. Yeah. That the whole system is externally re- is teaching them that education is externally regulated. And then we suddenly want them to be see assessment as an internally regulated process. And you know, it's and I I, I don't blame teachers for that at all. It, it is what it is. It's um they do what they have to do with that. Um but it but I that's why I, I agree with you with sport is that how do we teach people that it is it it does give us that opportunity to to say look this is within your control. This is something that you can take ownership for. Um, but it's but that will require some intentions from you. And, that, and those who are PPW probably won't have those intentions. They'll probably just want to pitch up, play the game, go home again. But the ones who are P-R-E-R-E-R-E, and you'll say, well, look, if you want to be good at this, you're going to have to take quite a lot of ownership over how this is going to work. Because, you know, irrespective of what sport it is, if you're not practicing on your own, then A, you're probably not interested enough, and B, you're probably not going to have sufficient skills to get to the place you want to be, especially if you're ERE. So, yeah. you know, there's a there's a almost like a, a snowball effect with those sorts of things. So and I, that's why I like looking at that psychosocial, psychobehavioral area, because it's both about growing them as a, a member of society without being too grandiose about that, but, you know, somebody can operate within a social setting, but also someone who can learn the skills which will take them on the... Because I think ultimately everyone has something that they want to be good at. And typically, if you look at the work that Dave and Anya and probably also um, uh, Mustafa at Nottingham, with, you know, this set of skills seem to be fairly generic. But anyone who's good at something, there's generally a set of skills which have allowed people to do that. And I think sport allows us to do those things. So that's a concept I like to work with. Nice. And by the way, I don't think the word grandiose is out of context because I think it's like when you speak about like being a you know, a helpful member of society. I do think that is the purpose of sports. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, it should be a big purpose of most things, shouldn't it? Really, it's yeah. not. But it's. And let's not get into this because I'm now going to yeah. get into the realms of politics, and it's going to. Yeah, yeah. So we'll, we'll have so, a car crash. So, so I'm I'm going to finish off then with my how things. Um, and my first one is learning happens when it's meaningful. Uh, and I think meaning can be artificially generated. So there's no doubt kids learn for GCSEs and A-levels, but the meaning is artificially generated, as in, if you don't do this, you won't get that. So it's quite an external, artificial. Um, no, And then I think there's also an autonomy-based meaning, as in, I, I, I find meaning in this because I, I find meaning in it. It's, it's important to me. But the thing for me within that is that um, actually sometimes every coach has to generate some artificial meaning in order for kids to see, I'm going to say kids, but perhaps even not kids, even adults, for people to see um, that there is an autonomous meaning sat there waiting for them. So, you know, it's that phrase of you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. I I always have like a Dara Breen voice in my head when I, um, uh, with that, because I then go, I, I sort of added a bit in the, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink, but you can pull its, and you can imagine where the Dara Breen would use that, but you can pull its flipping head into the water. 
it's not you don't necessarily just have to lean into water you could actually just put their head in the water and then they might go and i think there's every parent and every coach somewhere along the line has had to go just get out the car and go and do it and they go no but i don't want to just get out the car and go and do it i don't just get out the car and go and do it (laughs) and they come back going how was it oh it's great Right. I okay. had that. It took me half an hour to persuade Elsa to go to school the other day, kicking and screaming, taking her to school. She had a brilliant day. Yeah. Like, I, I the way I think about it, you know, like I think like uh, you, you want to get people to open the front door. Like I think mm-hmm. people do their own learning, and it's helpful to me. But sometimes you need to like uh, light a little fire outside so they just open the door a little bit. And go, oh, what's going on over here, Rusty? Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, that so- makes sense to me. It's in room one hundred and one. Yeah, so make it meaningful has always been important for me. Um, I think once you're in that meaning space, it's make it personally relevant, which is meaningful, um, but develop understanding. Because the one concept I've not talked about is that some people that perhaps expect would be self-determination theory. But I think self-determination theory, which is autonomy, competence, relatedness. Do I have some autonomy? Do I feel in control? Because often when I say autonomy, people go, does that mean automatic? So no, it's, it's, do you have ownership? Do you feel you're competent at, at, to do the task that you're being asked to do? And are you connected to it? Are you related to it? And that task might be to make some friends or it might be do the task. Um, but I think the fundamental basis of autonomy uh, comes back to understanding. Um, and that that's that's one space where sometimes I see the you know the idea of the issue of constraints is that sometimes we might not want to tell people why they're doing something we want to constrain and allow the behavior to emerge but I think part of that is that I think under, people need to understand why they're doing what they're doing um, now when you do that might you might say well let's wait for the understanding we'll, we'll just do something we'll perhaps come back a little but I think um, I think uh, that Understanding comes from making something representative, um, and I think that's crucial. But again, coming back to the pathway to that, sometimes we might make, um, and this is sat within the the overall understanding bit, is sometimes understanding is really hard, so sometimes you have to make it easy before you make it harder. So when someone says to me, Andy, would you see a point for drills? Yes, I do see a point for drills. I think they can make things easy. I think that's the point of why we would deal some, something which looks drill-like. If you're doing drills for two hours, then probably you've gone from easy to being bored. And uh, and also, you know, there's, I think if the problem with other views of drills is that there's cues of kids. I think you can do a perfectly good dr- drill which doesn't have a cue of kids. I mean, I think those are two separate things. You know, it's um, and I'll, I'm going to come back to the cue and kids thing in a second. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the, you know, make it easy generally means you're, you're removing complexity, which means that generally speaking, we'll start to look what we might term as a drill. But that's limited in what it can do. So ultimately, you want to make things more challenging, more difficult. Um, and the more you do that, probably the more you will promote learning because you get relatively little learning from things which are too easy. But you might get a building confidence, which gives people the, the idea that now they can go and do something and, and give it a go. And that comes from work we, Dave and I wrote back in 2011 of, uh, if you want quick change, make it easy. If you want uh, more, uh, greater levels on learning and, uh, and transfer, you probably have to make it more difficult, broadly speaking. Uh, and that's mentally difficult, mentally challenging, even if you might not have a mental process going on. 
you know, even the reflection afterwards might be going, why have I done that? And so on. So um, so those, that's something that I have in my head is that understanding personally relevant. If you want some quick change for confidence, make it relatively easy. If you want learning and, and progress and development, you probably have to make it harder and challenge, more challenging. Um, yeah, I, I mean, for me, it would be levels. Uh, like, I think often that, you know, when we talk about drills, I agree with the cues. Like, um, you know, you want people doing some activity as much as possible. Um, uh, and then I guess the other thing, when you spoke about rationale, like for me, there's a bit of rationale around the sport. So do you understand the benefit of standing there? Like, why why are we doing this practice? But also, like, why am I asking you a question? So I think there's a bit of a, for me, I'm because we're trying to want to get people to understand coaching and maybe be better coaches in the future. I'm also trying to get them some rationale around coaching. Mm. Like, do you understand why I'm standing here as a coach? Or, but you see, it just got me thinking about that stuff as well. Yeah, yeah. Like so often, like the drill, I guess the the levels because like it like already the language is quite binary, isn't it? We're either doing a game or we're doing a drill. Well, actually, you can have a terrible one of these, and you can have yeah. a really good one of these, and like, yeah. and and there could be a game here, but there could be fifteen aside and one ball, and there could be loads of people standing around, and there could be two people here practicing something that's meaningful to them and helpful for them, and everyone's doing it in pairs and they're getting lots of goes of it. So, yeah. yeah. It just it's well, quite it's, polarizing, isn't it? Yeah, and I think part of this is that you know the idea. Well, you, you, everything must be a game because otherwise the cues aren't there. Well, ultimately, the, there is no um, there is no activity that, that doesn't have cues in it. So even if I'm just kicking a ball against the wall, which was a great, obviously, big Twitter argument about the, you know while back. There's still a cue, though. There's still a, a ball which is travelling about how do you... When the ball's coming back to you, there is a, a there is tracking going on. So, yeah, there's no defenders or anything. I get that. But there's still a ball which is being perceived. And so everything that has a cue in it and actually remo removing cues to make it simple is not a bad idea sometimes. Yeah. But it's... I always come back to, you know, come back to the nest of this. What is it you're trying to achieve? What's the objective here? And... If I think that actually um, you just need to spend some time kicking a ball, then okay, go and kick against the wall. Or if again, would I do that? I'd probably go. Well, let's just get at least get two people so you, you, yeah. you can actually pick up on the cue of some. some kick let's again. not get into the balls and the wall again. No, but but the point for me is that that, that became a binary argument. But it, what <laughs> yeah. people didn't get into is, but why was the coach doing it? No one's asked them. You know, we're we're, we're we're passing judgment on something without understanding, coming back to that idea of understanding, understanding why they did it. Once we understood why we're doing it, they might be going, you might want to think about doing this or this, but um, but it, it's it's the judgment without context, I think, within that, which was probably the most disruptive part of that whole thing. Um, yeah, which is the reality of most things, isn't it? Because, you you know, it's very rare you have full context on, on anything, really, unless you're... Yeah. Um, so, so probably to finish on um, the, the final concept is, uh, which I think is, it, it was actually Mark Mataggart asked me the other day about saying, Andy, what's the best bit of writing around um, task design? And I remember thinking, you know, Martin, I really can't answer that question. <clears throat> it's probably one of the biggest gaps it is, how do people actually design tasks? How does someone take a great knowledge of their curriculum, a great understanding of, uh, of um, learning, a great understanding of the person and take those three things and actually 
design something which is meaningful. Um, so I'm go- I was going to finish on something which I think um, was, so I mean, I could talk about, well, there is the task, how do I design a good task? And I think there's not enough examples of that. But um, so the one I was finishing with was something which uh, um, Marco Sullivan put out a while back, which for me is the classic case of someone saying, a very experienced coach, used to work with young people, has an intuitive and and in detail sense of what makes something good. And when I want to offer you something relatively simplistic, which makes sense of this, he said, um, create something which has an opponent, a direction, a consequence, and a ball. He was talking about football. And I looked and I went, conceptually, that's great, because we're not talking about theories of learning or anything. It's just saying, if you want to design a task, if you've got those four things in it, then you're, it's great. Um, the thing I would probably add to that would be <laughs> opportunity. So if you want to learn something, people have got to have an opportunity to do it. And I think that's where, for me, there's a there is a tension between opportunity and representativeness. So I could design a small group two-on-two. Lots of opportunity. It's opponent as a direction, as a consequence, as a ball. But it's not actually that representative of the thing that you're going to play. But and that's where I would say that's a that's a I know what other people would say. It's a simplification uh, process. I would say it's an it's it's a simplification, but it's also a reduction on the it's making something easier. Um, we're reducing the complexity of what's going on. But um, so when when I saw the, when Martin asked me that question, I thought, God, what is the answer to that? And I thought that tool was really good. I think it's a it's a it's going back to if you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it well enough. I think that's a simple tool which is grounded in something far more complex. Um, uh, and I think there's other things you'd have to get into around it. And that, like I say, to me, it would be about opportunities because um, I think that's always been. For me as a rugby coach is I want to make it representative, but the more representative I make it, the less opportunity people get to get their hands on the ball. And people probably want to have their hands on the ball and run at people. And that's, it's the, it, that, I think 15 aside rugby, that's that's always going to be part of the problem. If, um, or people want to coach that game is if you're not careful, you're bored of pants off people because they never touch the ball. Yeah. Um, but, I'm probably uh, thinking like when you said it, I immediately because few people have asked me that question recently, and I point them to some of Danny Newcomb's work. I like some of the stuff Mark's done, like. But yeah, the reality is like in rugby, if you wanted to create opportunities, like let's say you wanted people to practice scoring, then you'd have a really, you know, you'd have a pitch that was twenty meters deep. Yeah, and like both teams, you know, and you wouldn't have, you might have more attackers and defenders. Um, you might like not have 15 aside on the pitch. Like all these, there's so many considerations, but uh, as a start point, I like it. I'd probably add scoring time as my next thing as well. I was thinking, oh, what would I add next? Because I think you need scoring time to coach decision-making. Um, yeah, well, I think that's probably his consequence thing. What, what's the yeah, consequence? It's a consequence, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's complicated, this coaching stuff, eh? Isn't it just, yeah. And, and maybe yeah. my last question to you, like, um, has it been like, because because this is something I think about a lot of guests, like, so I've done coaching and then I've I've studied a bit around it and then I went back to do the prof doc. It was super helpful for me because I was then able to make sense of stuff. 
the flip is some people go straight into like a degree and then they'll, you know, I guess there's a spiral curriculum that's probably the ideal situation yeah. here. Um, I guess my flip to you is like, how much has it helped your teaching, coaching the Otley Zebras for 11 years? <laughs> it's, it's funny because I used to, uh, when I didn't coach, I used to convince myself that not coaching was fine because I, it was about the coach education process, not the coaching process. But actually having coached, it's just increased my empathy far <laughs> beyond what I ever had. You know, and, and I've probably got far more examples to draw now to make, um, you know, with, I want to explain something because I think explanation is a really key thing. And I'm, I'm waiting for, um, you know, Ross Atkins, the, the BBC guy, he's got a book coming out saying the art of explanation. I think explanation is probably one of the most under-researched yet most important things that people can do. But explanation um, and analogies, uh, what's the other word for analogy? Um, metaphor. Metaphor. It's allowed me to create more of those uh and I think the more I can do that, the more I can help my help myself be more understandable. So yeah, it's been I think it's been fundamental to my development as a coach educator. What a beautiful way to finish. Yeah. Uh, if people want to find you in the in the universe or the AI or whatever it is, where where can they find you? Uh, the Otley Taps. Uh, if they want to spy me a pint, but anyway, <laughs> um, no. Uh, so um, on Twitter, uh, Andrew Ele. Andrew Abraham 11, I think is my, my handle. Uh, you're a winger because you're a left winger. Is that why? Uh, no, it was, it was literally because that's what um, Twitter suggested for yeah, me. But I enough, I'd never thought about that because I did play the wing, but so I don't I start, I still don't know that 11 is a left wing and 14 is the right wing. Oh, by the way, I don't know it's 11 and 14, but I assume it is because it just made me think, am I right or wrong? But I'm assuming because 11, you know, if we write from left to right. Yeah, well, quite possibly. But yeah, I did used to play in the wing because I could run fast, but uh, but I didn't understand rugby because I played football all my life. So it was like, get there. When we pass it to you, just run towards that line was pretty much the instruction. Uh, that's a, some sort of my understanding of rugby. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, and, uh, and in terms of email, a.k.abraham at newsbeckett.ac.uk. Amazing. Um, Always the voice of reason on Twitter, in my experience, from someone who is not the voice of reason. <laughs> I appreciate your uh, your level-headedness. I have my moments, don't worry. <laughs> Mate, have a great day. It's been uh, amazing uh, chatting through those 11 years in uh, in a much shorter space of time. Yeah, great stuff. <laughs>